0: Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios.
1: Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted, Wonderful Pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go
0: adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, out-snack the
1: competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your
0: go-to snack. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch,
1: and dinner? Check.
2: welcome to on fire the only official survivor podcast i'm jeff Propes, the host and showrunner of survivor each week i'm joined by jay wolf the producer of this podcast doing a very good job and a survivor
1: fan. what's up jay what's up jeff thanks for the compliment
2: we're also always joined by rick devins one of the most popular former survivor players who brings his insight into this season of survivor how's it going rick very good jeff how are you I'm good. So, all right, let's get into this. Episode 5, Survivor 45. I have a new game. I want to see if it'll work. All right. I just want to know which player jumped out or was your favorite or the one that made the biggest impression in this episode. Jay, who was it for you?
1: I think for me, it has to be D. There was a moment in the episode where Jay decides to throw herself under the bus to cover for D's vote for Sifu <laughs> on yep. her own. And D's sitting there eating a coconut, licking her chops. And then when Jay walks away, D says, you know what? Maybe we should just vote Jay out.
2: Yeah. You know what? You picked up on something really subtle, but if you watch D, she's usually doing one of only two things. She's either smiling, big as ever, bright eyed and full of joy because she's <laughs> just enjoying the adventure of it all, or she's poker faced and making a move. Well,
3: for me, when you talk about someone jumping off the screen, standing out, it's hard to look past the seven-footer out there. (laughs) And uh, we've talked about Drew being such a magnet for people in this game, and this episode was so great to see how he was evolving in different relationships and what strategies he decided to go with as he forms his alliances for the future.
2: And you know what's interesting about that comment to me is That's how we felt when we met him in casting. Mm. Just as a human, he's really fun to talk to. He's very bright. He's very witty. And he's also just got this way of sort of drawing you in to say, no, tell me more. Honestly, Devins, I kind of felt that way about you in a very different way. You have a different personality. But every time we were at Tribal, I knew that if I asked you a question, I would get more than an answer. I would get some sort of a story. You would shape something for us with an analogy or a metaphor or something from your personal life. And I think it's the hallmark of popular players. Drew is going to be a popular player because he's interesting and fun. All right, let's get into it, Jay. Let's get into the big moments.
1: First thing that stood out to me was that opening scene of them starving and talking about food. Kendra's like trying to eat a worm and then she's burping up the worm (laughs) (laughs) and everything that it leads to because this is the part of the game where you are really starting to see that impact of no food. Yeah. So, Jeff, why is having literally no food part (laughs) of the design of Survivor?
2: Well, think about it. Food is a giant part of every human's life. It provides emotional comfort. It provides mental clarity. It provides physical energy. So let's just look at those three. Emotionally, when you're at home, and you want something to eat, you just open the cabinet. Mm. When you get upset, maybe something happens, you go to your favorite snack, you know your comfort food, or maybe you have a ritual when you watch an episode of Survivor, maybe you, do, you order sushi, whatever it is, it's a part of your daily life. So stripping you of that on the island is big. You don't have that emotional comfort of the cookie that helps settle you. <laughs> then you get into the mental part of it. When you deprive yourself of food, Of course, you get hangry. Most people do. Well, that impacts your mood. Well, at home, okay, your wife thinks you're an an idiot, but on Survivor, your tribe thinks you're a mood killer. And that can impact your game because, oh, he's not very fun to have around when he's angry. Then on top of that, the cognitive decline comes into play, which impacts your ability to think, to strategize, to remember the lies you've already told and who you told them to, or even something like sleeping. And then you get into the physical, it impacts your ability to perform at challenges. You have the cognitive, again, with the puzzles, but then you also have the physical with the obstacle courses, and that increases the stakes for who you keep on your tribe, who's going to help you in those challenges based on how people are handling the deprivation of food in terms of their physical abilities. So it's a huge part of the game design because of the huge impact it has on every player.
1: Mm. So, Devons, take us inside the mind and the body of a player and tell us about your experience with food when you were out there. Obviously, it was before the new era, but you were on Edge of Extinction, which had no food as well. What do you remember about how hunger was impacting mm. you in the game and how could it be impacting these players out there in Season 45? Jeff really touched on everything. It's just a matter of
3: you can understand that that's what you're getting into, but then when you're really in it, you wake up in the morning. And it's not like you're getting ready to go to breakfast. Your stomach already hurts. You can feel <laughs> your ribs more every day. And you are just, you, you're you foggy. I mean, you know you have to stand up slowly because you don't want to end up passing out. And then once you stand up, you have to kind of wobble there for a second. Give yourself. <laughs> so you're literally turning into this kind of zombie. And there's no getting away from it. You might not want to talk about food. Everyone out there is talking about food. The texture of your hair gets different. I mean your wow. your fingernails start looking and being more brittle cuz you're not getting calcium. You see these effects wearing on you. Your toenails break easier. It's just awful. And then yeah, you do start thinking about home more and you're more emotionally fragile. So every little thing makes you maybe more angry, maybe more, you know, sad. And it just builds up and builds up. And Jeff, you see it. I remember walking into a challenge late in the season and you did your thing where you're like, this is where we're going to do. You start here. You walked us through. And you looked at us, and it's just like blank <laughs> faces. And you said, you didn't follow any of that, did you? Let's let's go through this slowly. And that's how it is. You feel real clever in your interviews early in the season. And then late in the season, you're going, who who was it that was on the other side of the vote? Yeah. You can't even keep up. The, the effects out there are just devastating.
2: Devons, I loved hearing that because it's a great reminder to me of what happens, because we do it on a whiteboard. It's theoretical. You lived it. It was real.
1: Right, and you see how that manifests in real time when Jake, when he falls and momentarily passes out.
0: You okay?
1: What's going on? Dude, I passed out. Did you fully out. pass
0: out? Yeah, I'm good. you sure? Slow, slow, Jake. No, nah, baby, I'm
3: fine. someone said he wins the race. See,
0: huh? he did the same thing. You're <laughs> supposed
3: to laugh at me now, dude. I, I just fell I, laughing I can't. I don't know why I can't, but I just can't yes. right now.
2: Two things to note in that clip. Bruce. Bruce was the one who came over first and had a moment because it was a reminder that Bruce can relate to because he went through his own physical situation in Survivor 44. And the other thing I thought was really interesting Kelly, her real life comes into play. She's a nurse back home and she is yeah. instantly there, right? Devon's to provide not only information, here's why that happened to you physically but also comfort to her tribe mate that you're not in trouble. It's, you're okay, just sit down for a second and you'll be fine. So you take that idea of hunger, and why is it so important? Because it connects right now to the society that's been formed by a group of strangers.
1: Yeah, this led into the story of Jake's backstory, which I think you alluded to last week, and I personally found really touching. Before I came out into this
3: game, I weighed 287 pounds. When I was overweight, I I wasn't feeling too great about myself. I had a serious binge eating problem. And I know there's a lot of people out there who do that and they just don't talk about it and they try to ignore their problems. But you gotta face them. Like, I knew what I was doing. I didn't want to acknowledge it. I ignored it, I hid it. The day that everything kinda turned around for me, I'm eating in my car outside my parents' house. My whole family's inside. My mother comes out to me and says, Jake, you don't have to be embarrassed about what you're doing. I love you no matter what. And I just said to myself, I'm just like, I'm not okay with this. Like, I can do better. I'm this isn't how my life is meant to be. I can overcome this.
1: And I and I did. I mean that was it's really powerful. It's amazing to, to hear to hear him say that and this sort of backstory started in this new era. What was the reasoning to start taking these deeper dives into the lives of the players?
2: Well, they started because when we shifted the focus of our casting in season 41 to be more diverse in every way, as we've talked a lot about, it led to so many interesting stories that we'd never heard before. Stories of immigrant families, stories of incredible obstacles that were overcome during childhood, stories of people learning how to like themselves their own unique self so out of the gate we knew we made a decision we're going to invest time and energy into telling some of these stories on the show and jake as i said last week it's one of my favorite origin stories ever mainly because of the courage of jake to share so openly i mean that was a very personal story and so relatable to so many people but also the beautiful way it was told in the editing, and then that shift where he's down and he's telling you about his lowest moment and then he he laughs, and Andy Castor Mm -hmm. cut this, used that moment to then turn from the down to the up, and it finishes as one of the most moving pieces We've ever done. And I think Jake should expect to do some speaking events because (laughs) I really do mean it. I think that was probably relatable to millions of people. And maybe he should start it with playing this scene from Survivor 45 and then get into it. I thought this was a great story, but Jeff, I hear now, you know,
3: since you all started doing these backstories, you'll hear people say, oh, I'll never get on Survivor now. I don't have a Mm -hmm. sob story. How do you respond to that?
2: No, I'm really glad you said that because I hear it too. And it's, I can see how you could draw that conclusion. If you don't have this kind of a backstory, we may not tell your backstory, but that doesn't mean you won't get on Survivor. There are people on this season that don't have this incredible backstory. It's not about that. All we want on Survivor are compelling, authentic people. So just trust us that we're telling the truth. Don't try to make assumptions based on what you've seen. If you want to play Survivor, apply.
1: Well, another really amazing backstory that we saw this episode was from Dee, and she told the story of her parents and what they did for her to be able to be on Survivor, and she relates it back to Sean, who just voluntarily quit the episode before because he said he got what he needed. And you can just see in Dee's words, and I know I said at the top of the episode, she was my player of the episode. (laughs) You can see it here. There's no chance she's quitting. No, And that's the next big moment I want to get to. Dee voted for Sifu, but Sifu doesn't know that.
2: (laughs) Who voted for Sifu? (laughs)
1: Right. He's got to know. So Sifu was on the hunt for truth. And Sean told him it wasn't him who voted for him at the end of Tribal Council, right. kind of a little dagger on his way out. So Seep was trying to figure out who it was, and he knows he's in trouble, so he makes a fake idol. I wanna start there. <laughs> Devins, you're the guy to go to. Hey. Uh, how did you find and gather the materials that you needed for that fake idol, and how do you find the time to do it without getting caught?
3: So yeah, we're in my wheelhouse here. It's actually kind of <laughs> funny the evolution of my idol making on Survivor, because the first idol I was ever exposed to was the half and half idol that I got when I returned from the edge of extinction. I had to give half to David Wright. And this thing was beautiful, Jeff, from the art department. I mean, (laughs) it looked like emerald. It had a carving. So I thought, That's the type of idol I need to make if I make a fake. Mm. So I did one time. I cut off the top of a coffee jar that we'd gotten. I painted it green. This is with (laughs) uh, materials we got from the merge to make the flag. I even copied one of the Asian symbols off the T so it would be totally legit. Got it done and it looked like complete garbage. (laughs) Not only that, I almost get caught green-handed with the green paint on my head. (laughs) Luckily, later in the game, I actually found an idol and realized, oh, this thing's ugly as hell. I can make this real easy. (laughs) So you kind of pull some stuff off torches, you know, maybe you pull stuff off your bag. Don't pull stuff off other people's bag, but it happens. The problem is those beads are so unique. You know, if you get them off tree mail, people might be able to spot them. So you need to find pieces of coral that might have a hole.
2: Just gather everything. And Jay, I want to jump in here because what Devons is talking about is also related to the gameplay between us and the players. We're fully aware Mm. that every piece of material, a piece of yarn, that goes into the tribe camp is now part of the game. So we know, too, what's happening, which is why beads are specific and why pieces of rope are different, because we do want you to play as hard as you can, but we want it to be as difficult as we can make it to get away with a fake idol, which is why Devons was so good. He worked very
1: hard. And that's my next question, is after last season, we saw the cage where you essentially gave players a fake idol with which they could figure out what to do with it, so they're now part of the yeah. game design. What impact do you see that having on players making their own moving forward?
2: Well, I think now that that we have created the opportunity for a fake idol, it only enhances the believability of other fake idols, because it could be real, it could be fake, it could be a fake put into to the game for people to think it was real and it could be a fake made by a player. And as Devin said, the idols are now so uneven. They can be very basic, just a piece of rope with a shell on it that you can't ever tell. Did somebody make this in camp after listening to Devin's on (laughs) on fire? Or is this actually a real idol that could win somebody a million dollars? So I think all of this is increasing the gameplay. What it really does is it distills everything back down to the same thing it's always been about information who can you get to share information with you and then who do you share your information with all right let's take a break when we come back what give us a tease what do you want to talk about
3: am you let's talk about what happened on the journey (laughs) oh
2: wow you're taking on uh, jay from this season
3: that's right i would you know (laughs) she's the pun champion i'm the pun padawan all right we're gonna take a break we'll be right back
0: Listen, wearing the same clothes for 26 days straight on Survivor really made me realize the importance of buying high-quality, long-lasting clothes. That's why I love Quince. They have timeless, well-made pieces that last for years and don't go out of style. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. Buying pieces from Quince means that I don't have to keep buying new clothes every year, which is better for my wallet and the environment. I recently got a super chic Italian leather tote from Quince and I'm loving how it looks. The best part about Quince is that by partnering directly with top factories, they're able to keep prices super affordable. I'm talking 50 to 80% cheaper than similar brands. And the other best part is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I love that. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com Survivor for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com Survivor to get free shipping shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com Survivor.
2: Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. All right, Jay, where are we going next?
1: All right, the next moment is after the challenge, we find out that there's not only going to be tribal that night, there's also <laughs> going to be a journey in the middle. So yep. Jeff, where did the same day as the tribal journey come from and why?
2: Well, that gets into the mechanics of producing 90 minute episodes during the same 26 day schedule that you were doing the 60 minute episodes. So in order to get the amount of events that you want in an episode, you have to get very creative with how you use your time. So from a schedule standpoint, that's how you end up with a challenge, a journey and tribal on the same day. But I got to say, scheduling it is the easy part executing all of it and at the same standard is much more difficult Mm. and i'll be honest it was a lot of work for our teams every department was pushing 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 and i don't think i did a good enough job of monitoring how hard everybody was working it's surprisingly at least for me one of the more difficult parts of being one of the leaders on the team is that our crew won't tell you when they're maxed out until after they've done what they needed to do to get the job done. And that's every department, even the ones you never hear us talk about, the kitchen team, our unit team, our accounting team, our laundry team. (laughs) You know, we're our own little society out there making this crazy show. But I will also say that our crew is incredibly proud that we did pull it off, and we too love the 90 Minutes.
1: All right, so Rick, I wanna go back into the moment before this journey happens. Jeff tells Reba, who won the immunity challenge, you get to designate not only from Reba tribe who gets to go on the journey, but also from the other two tribes. Can you take me inside that moment when you're deciding who to send on what will likely be a huge game-changing moment? Yeah, I mean, that's a big negotiation because first think about it from an
3: individual perspective strategically, right? Maybe you don't want to go at all. Maybe you don't want to put a target on yourself. Maybe you need that time in camp before tribal tonight if your team lost. Maybe you really want to go strategically. Maybe you lost and you're going to tribal and you need an advantage. Maybe you're looking across tribal lines and going, I need to set myself up for the merge. I really want to go. And don't forget, this is the experience of a lifetime. Maybe you just want to freaking go because it's Survivor, you (laughs) know? That's on your list. So all those reasons stack up. You decide you do want to go, but then there are three other people on your tribe that want to go. So it becomes a very social situation. How much am I willing to push this? Right. Uh, Because it could affect my game. It could affect
2: what happens. I think that's one of the most nuanced aspects of playing Survivor. Those seem like tiny little things, but it's like you said the other day, Devons Bruce, you know, skipping off the platform after a win, it's a three-second moment that could cost him a million dollars in the end if it perturbs the wrong person. All of these nuanced interactions matter.
3: Absolutely, and especially when you're heading off on a journey and leaving everyone behind to talk about it. There's a million things that go into it, and Jeff, you don't give us a whole lot of time to make those decisions.
2: That's right, by design, because even though this is a small moment, it can have big impact.
1: Okay, well, the next moment, which also definitely matters, is the introduction of the amulet advantage. So the journey completed by Jay and Austin and Kelly leads to a decision. You can choose the amulet advantage, or you can choose a sandwich. (laughs) Jeff... Is this choice really that difficult? I mean, I'm asking a little bit in jest, but this is a huge advantage in the game or a sandwich that has presumably been sitting on the cliff for, I don't know, (laughs) 45 minutes?
2: Jay, I love how over the course of a season and a half of On Fire, you have taken on the personality of a 97-year-old curmudgeon. (laughs) Oh, was it really worth it? It's probably been on the cliff for an hour. (laughs) Clearly... It was a difficult choice because it was difficult for Austin. And it goes back to food. What seems to be the theme of this episode, Austin is used to eating, the boy is hungry, and Austin already has some advantages, so he's not as hungry for an advantage as he is for a sandwich. By the way, a little fact about our food, because you said it's probably been sitting on the cliff for an hour, anytime we give them food, it's fresh. So if you were to see us present a reward at the beginning of a challenge and it was fresh burgers and all this stuff, we give them fresh burgers when it gets back to their camp an hour later. Mm. They're getting good, solid, fun, hot or cold, whatever it should be, food, because they're working hard for it.
1: Mm. Devins, did you go in with the philosophy about how you planned to approach hunger? I did. Uh,
3: I say this as someone who had more body fat going into the game than all three of the people on the journey combined. So keep that in the back. Of <laughs> they, were your mind. That really out. they were very small. They were very small. But I went in with the theory that I will never give up on a challenge or pass up on an advantage for food because I had grown up watching with my dad who's a West Point guy, an army ranger. And every time someone dropped out of a challenge for food, they'd say, I can't believe they did that. You know, they're Mm -hmm. giving up their game. So no matter how bad I wanted the food, it was just like, I can't go home and face my dad and let (laughs) him know that I dropped out of a challenge. And that actually made it a lot easier for me to just, you know, no matter what, this is what I'm doing. But again, thank God I had some of that body fat to burn off because I was hurting.
2: I've heard other players say that it changed their eating habits when they got back home. Did it have any impact on you?
3: I have absolutely heard that from other players as well, that they hoarded food, that they they suffered for the first time in their life food insecurity, and it really affected them. I was lucky that I was so thrilled to have lost 31 pounds. I was at the lowest weight I'd been at since high school. So I kind of went home with the focus of, let's try to keep this off. Let's eat a little
1: healthier. So it did affect my eating habits for a little while. All right, so I want to get to the amulet that they did end up choosing over the sandwiches. It has two critical attributes. First, all three of them must be played at once. And second, the less of them there are, the more valuable they become. And this played in season 42. Yep. So Jeff, what drove the design of a three-way advantage?
2: Well, in this case, it's what you just said, the added layer that three people share it and must use it together, but the fewer players there are, the more power it has. And I think that was Matt Van Wagenen's idea when we first did it. So, you know, you look at it on one hand, it could be in my best interest if the other two players aren't in the game, because then I have an idol. And that's what Austin seems intent (laughs) on having happen. But there is also power in an alliance, And if this shared advantage is, by design, what keeps the alliance together and strong, that can also have an equally long-term positive impact on the game. So it's another decision dilemma with consequences no matter which path you choose.
3: I love it. I love when there are cool things like this in the game. We've talked about it earlier in the season. You just give the players a lot to
2: work with. Well, and this is why I say to the players, don't let the game play you play the game. Don't get mad at a twist you don't like. Immediately try to figure out how to make that twist work to your advantage or diminish its ability to hurt you.
1: Okay, so to that point, Rick, Jeff just explained how hard it is to have no food, to go on this journey. We watched them walk up this hill. I think they're all complaining about how this was the hardest journey that anybody on Survivor's ever experienced. And then they get there and They're choosing between a sandwich and this amulet that they don't really know how it works or how it's going to play. It's another thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. So how do you take all of that that's going on and then figure out how to make any sort of rational, not only rational, strategic decision? Right, you're mentally
3: slowing down because you've gotten a lot less food and we talked about all the thought process that goes into just going on a journey to pick who's going on a journey and all the different people involved so every day you're getting more and more information to keep track of. And every day you're having to reevaluate that information. Like, is this what I thought it was yesterday? Let me go check in with my allies. Let me go kind of check in with the people who I haven't been working with and see what type of vibe I'm getting with them. And then you carry that personal experience you're having into this decision. Alston has great allies already and a lot of advantages. Does he really need to be tied to two other people that he's not working with? That limits his options in a way. Whereas Jay is looking for someone to really work with, to go deep within the game. So she wants to tie herself to these other two people. And then Kelly's doing what she's been doing the whole time getting herself right in the middle of these decisions, but she has to kind of pick a side this time. She's been riding the fence throughout the game and she does pick a side. And now she is tied to these other two people. Although Austin has other plans. And I'll be honest, Jeff, we talk about great storytellers is what you look for. I don't think I could possibly explain the thought process of this amulet any better than Austin did. He covered all angles.
2: You know, I love that you said that, because we rely on the players to be our storytellers, and I think the audience forgets that
1: sometimes. Well, let's hear from him quickly, because on top of being a good storyteller, I just want to call out the shot in which Austin is explaining this amulet. He's laying back by a tree. It's like he's the king of the jungle because he's got 15 different advantages. He doesn't even know what to do with them. I'm going to play you the clip. (laughs) I didn't want to be the guy saying, no, 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 I don't want to work with you all. I want my sandwiches. Like, yeah. I have to convince them that I'm down to play strategy. You know, like, let's all work together and use this stupid extra vote between the three of us, even though we're never <laughs> going to agree on one person to vote out. So this is a, a newborn alliance. go. Yay! I like it!
0: It's going to be pretty sneaky.
1: In my head, it's like, This is not a symbol of an alliance. This is absolutely a symbol of war.
0: (gasps) All right, let's get some ambulance.
1: (laughs) I need to be the first to strike, to take them down. I'm turning this into a full-blown idol. They're going to get my revenge for getting in between me and that that freaking sandwich.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is the new era of Survivor. That's a player. I'm coming for you. Hunger or hanger, either way, it's real. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I think the last big moment, we have to talk about the impact of the swap on the game. In this case, maybe the nerd alliance that never was and how it cost Brando his shot at the million dollars in the title of Soul Survivor. Be right back. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. All right, Jay, bring us
1: home. All right, the last moment of the episode, the nerd alliance that <laughs> never was. So my first question, Jeff, did you know That Brando, Drew, and Emily all happened to be (laughs) Pokemon enthusiasts.
2: You know, I brag on our casting process a lot, but no, I don't ever recall a single conversation about Pokemon with anybody (laughs) coming up (laughs) in in any conversation, certainly not with all three of them. But I do think this is a really good example of, of what 90 Minutes is offering us because on one hand, it feels like old school Survivor. And that's because in the early seasons, the, the the game design was very basic, a reward challenge and an immunity challenge. And so the rest of their time was spent at camp figuring out what to do. So a lot of the show was just them hanging out. But over the years, as we talked about, the game had to evolve. It would not have sustained if we just stayed with that basic plan. So as the game evolved, there became less time in the episode to just hang out. But that's what 90 Minutes gives us, is the time to do both. So it feels like old school, but it's not. The old school never went away, just the amount of time we have to show it.
1: So what do you say to the critics then who say, well, if the game design is in the way of getting that old school survivor, then just get rid of the game design?
2: Right. It's a fair question, but that's what we do for our jobs. And we're pretty certain that if we had not evolved this game, Survivor would not have survived. Mm. You had uncertainty in the early seasons because nobody understood anything. That's what forced things to happen, like eating a rat. But once that uncertainty is gone and they realize, oh, okay, this is it. You get a reward challenge and immunity challenge and tribal council. There's no more uncertainty. So you have to create uncertainty. And that's what we've continued to do bit by bit, piece by piece, season by season. And Jeff,
3: I think people watching at home would be totally surprised at how much time in camp that you don't show us. We're spending just trying to hack the calendar of the game. I mean, we'll have it all (laughs) written out. This is going to be a reward challenge. This is going to be a trial. I
2: like how you said written out as though you have paper and pen. Right, it's
3: literally in the sand with shells. We're trying to figure it out.
1: (laughs) We spend so much time trying to figure out what you're going to throw at us. Yeah, that's actually the last moment of the show I want to talk about this tribal, a lot of the strategizing seemed to be about the potential for a merge. Mm. So my question for both of you, what do you see, what do you take away when players are strategizing for an event on Survivor that is absolutely not guaranteed to take place?
2: But Devin, you go
3: first. I think as an Eagle Scout, I'll just say, be prepared. (laughs) You know, that's the motto. You got to be ready. But you can't put all your eggs in that basket. I mean, if you're making eyes at the other people on the other tribes because you're so sure a merge is coming and then it doesn't come, maybe you've alienated your own tribe. So you Mm -hmm. always have to be ready for what could come, but you have to really, just like so many other things in the game, you really try to ride that fence for as long as you can before making too big of a move that could put you in jeopardy.
2: Yeah, that ability to stall. (laughs) for as long as possible is key. And I think, you know what, you just said, Devons. really is interesting when you think of it from this standpoint. When you talk about assumptions, you have to make assumptions in, in any of these situations. But in this case, when it's the players debating whether or not there's a merge, you go back to the John Nash theory on game design, and he said... Every player has to make their best move based on the assumption every other player is making their best move. So in this case, the other player is us, the game designers. So the players are playing against us and they're making an assumption. Let's see, will the producers stick with what they've done in seasons 41 through 44? or are they going to change things up a bit? As a game designer, we're asking ourselves the opposite questions. What do they think we're going to do, and should we lean into that, or should we make a change? And so, as a player, I would say choosing that history will prevail seems to be the most likely and safest choice, unless you have either a strong gut or other information.
1: So here it seems like Drew, Austin, and Emily made that choice based on this idea that Bello needs to lose a player once they hit that merge. And we'll see how that winds up. And let me just throw
3: in here, guys. Jeff, I know you love hearing from the kids. Yeah. Well, my nine-year-old son, Jack, thought that this particular tribal, Brando versus Drew, he thought maybe it should have been held in a Pokemon gym.
2: <laughs> wow that Devon's humor is clearly in the bloodline is jack available to do this podcast could he sit in your seat a-
3: absolutely if you want the ratings to go way up we could probably work something out
2: <laughs> i like this nine years old he's in the sweet spot hello jack
1: <laughs> all right let's get to some fan questions and remember if you have a question for jeff you can write to us at survivor shoutout at cbs.com and we will read those questions and possibly read them here here's question one comes from Lucas. He writes, Hey Jeff, when it comes to tribe raids, are there rules about what's fair game to take and what isn't? Given that Lulu didn't have fire, it seemed like the obvious thing for Caleb would be to take Reba's flint. Was it against the rules for him to do that? Very astute question.
2: You cannot take their flint. And that's why it's mandatory that a tribe earns it. And then once you earn it, it is yours and it can't be taken by another tribe or another player. But, Devons, what is interesting is If someone on your own tribe, let's say, decided to hide the flint because they want to impact some pain on their tribe strategically, that would be an issue that, as Mark Wahlberg found out in Boogie Nights, is a YP and not an MP. In other words, that's your problem, not my problem, because that would be okay.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. well, one of my tribe members did hide the flint from us. Uh, Big Wendy (laughs) tried to save those chickens. And she oh, the most right. of them.
2: <laughs> I forgot about that. Maybe that's why it stirred up talking with you is it? it was your season. Maybe so. <laughs>
3: well, I got to ask this next question because the challenges tonight were just dope. I was mm. so jealous. I wanted in on them. So Janice sent in this question. Hi, my husband and I were wondering if Jeff ever test out the challenges himself. I think it would be fun to try them out. Well, most of them.
2: <laughs> yeah, I that three-tier challenge was so fun. And it was one that we wanted to make sure that the players knew how to do it as as well as they could beforehand. So we actually had one of our great dream teamers, Charlie, run it for them. Oh, they watched her do it? They watched her do it. And what was cool about it, Devins, is it was a really fun bonding moment for all of us, because for a moment, the players are getting to kind of get a little access into behind the scenes of how much time and effort goes into making this for them. And then they get to see a dream teamer in action and they realize, wow, they really are out here practicing these challenges. And they're reminded it's their adventure. We built this for you. And to Janice's specific question, I did used to test the challenges. Early on in season one, there was no dream team. So we all ran. Mark ran, everybody ran. (laughs) But now... I think, honestly, it's just a little bit too much of a liability issue because I am the guy who would smack my face on a board or <laughs> you know, or twist my ankle so severely I couldn't walk. And then it would be a little weird to try to explain that in the show. <laughs> but that said, there are certain times when I still test. If we're in a testing phase, for instance, we have something in the art department. It's just out in the, in the road and it's in very crude shape. We're early in the season. We're still working it out. I might pop over and just try it so I can see what it's like. Or if we have a new element that makes the show, then I want to know what it feels like so that I can at least have some understanding of what the players are dealing with. And the other one would be an endurance challenge. I will usually pop in on those for just a few minutes to be reminded where all the pain points are. And I'm with Janice. I wish all Survivor fans could come visit Location and run a challenge. Just that one thing, that adrenaline rush that Devin's nose is there is so fun. And when it's over, you're depleted, but you did it. Mm.
1: All right, here's the last question, it's from Zach. He writes, hello on fire team, after 45 seasons, the fact that Jeff's prying questions, I don't know, this isn't a suck, I don't know why the word prying is uh, so loaded. (laughs) Haven't inadvertently (laughs) revealed secret information is beyond impressive. Does Jeff have limited information going into Tribal that allows him to go in full force without revealing any secrets? Has he ever had to bite his tongue after saying something that could expose one? How does he do it? Well, Devons, I'll be
2: curious how you feel about this answer, but this is how it works. Here's what I know. Going into Tribal, I always know the big beats. I know who has an idol, who has an advantage. I would even know if Devins was seriously considering maybe giving his idol to somebody else. So I know those big tentpole things. What I don't know, and I've never needed to know, is the nuance, the tiny moments, all the things that I talk about on this podcast that when I watch the episode for the first time and I realize, oh, there's a Pokemon conversation going on. <laughs> I don't know any of that stuff. The truth is, I, I go into Tribal and I wing it. And you can really see that if you watch that I just start the same way by asking some basic questions and then the answers from the players start to reveal what's happening. And then I follow those answers with more questions. And the reason this works is that today's players are so good at using my softball questions to further their game that the story is created. And the reason they're good is they have to be. It's essential. You cannot play a passive game. It's too risky and it garners zero respect. So my questions are either a massive threat and an obstacle if you are ill-equipped or they are a giant opportunity. And all of the great players in the history of Survivor use my questions to further their game. Devins, comment?
3: I actually think that this cast, season 45, is doing a better job of that than we've seen in the last couple of years. I think people really started Hmm. to hide behind analogies and metaphors and going, maybe I can get Jeff to just move on. (laughs) Whereas (laughs) this cast is doing what I think you should do, which is take Jeff's broad question and then say something that gets Jeff to ask a more specific question, but one that you're pointing in the right direction. Bring up the thing you want Jeff to bring up. Because Jeff, Mm -hmm. you're great. You ask follow-up questions. So we can lead you there. We just have to be careful because that question might come right back at us. Oh, you brought up so-and-so. Why? Oh, that's not what I wanted to happen. (laughs) I wanted you to ask the next castaway about that.
2: Devins, that is great. That's how you have to play Survivor. You have to be willing to risk. And you just gave a great example of what every player should do. Use Tribal Council like you use any other part of this game to your advantage. All right, let's look ahead at next week, episode six. Jay, what are you feeling as a fan? What do you anticipate happening or where is the game heading?
1: Well, we talked about all of this merge preparation and voting on behalf of this merge that is yet to come. And I think I'm feeling like maybe things are not going to be as they expect it to be on the show called Survivor, where things happen to change when you least expect them to. Hmm. Maybe, maybe not. He's fallen into the trap trying to predict game design. <laughs> yeah, I got all my shells on the beach. I'm trying to figure out what's what.
3: <laughs> and I know I sound like a broken record, but I, I think I represent a lot of our listeners. When Wait, I say, can I guess?
2: Can I guess? Absolutely. It's, it, it has something to do with Bruce.
3: <laughs> T- turn it up to 11 i want more bruce and katora <laughs> on my screen and also sifu getting more chaotic i i can deal with that i want some sifu katora and bruce
2: who voted for sifu okay that's <laughs> it for this week's episode of on fire thanks so much for listening and please make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts And there's a brand new episode of Survivor every Wednesday at 8, 7 Central on CBS and Paramount Plus. And immediately following the episode, you get a brand new episode of On Fire.
1: We'll see you next week. You can watch Survivor and more on Paramount Plus. Subscribe at ParamountPlus.com and use the code SURVIVOR45 by December 20th, 2023 and get your first month of Paramount Plus on us. Must be age of majority to subscribe, U.S. only. Payment method required, terms and conditions apply.